This week on Radio Drama Revival, it's a fantastical neo-noir piece that stretches the boundaries of what the medium can do. It was a cold February morning. There David sat, in slippers and a comfy sweater, with a steaming mug. He was listening to audio drama, which was the point of this podcast, to showcase the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. Your host was David Reinstrom. He took a slug of hot cocoa. Yeah, that's the ticket, he thought. This entire exercise is a fun iteration on the hard-boiled detective noir drama, going all the way back to the classic detective radio of the 40s, filtered through Nick Danger and the lamented, now toxic, Guy Noir, and now a pair of Jungian investigators with uncanny names. What you're about to hear is the first episode of a new series called Kane and Fields, Paranormal Investigators. Another entry in the proud tradition of slamming together the tropes of noir fiction with more of a metaphysical mystery. In this case, recombining Jungian psychology with Norse mythology. There are two detectives. They both have subjective, hard-boiled voiceover. Sometimes those voiceovers compete with one another in a way the host found stylistically pleasurable. David took another hard pull of hot chocolate, savoring the little marshmallows he'd floated in it. One at a time, he thought. One at a time. This piece is a little complex, he thought, but it's just like riding a bicycle or shooting a witness. You only have to learn how to do it once. David pulled the blinds shut, but not all the way, so that they cast Venetian shadows across his face, making him look extra mysterious. He settled into his fortress of very comfortable pillows and blankets and listened to episode one of Cain and Fields, The Frozen Child. Inside a dark office in a spiraling metropolis, two men search for the unseen. If you can't tell what's real and what's a dream, it might be time for you to seek the services of Lucifer Cain and Brutus Fields paranormal investigators. In this week's adventure, Kane and Fields will have to keep their cool when they meet the frozen child. After a prolonged fall, winter came in at sharp right angles as I made my way back to our offices. On a night that began in rain and ended in snow, I met a dame I'd never forget. Joy. She wasn't much at first glance. Small, dark. The kind of girl you imagined your mother was at her age. But beyond the simple skirt and large winter coat, a poise and elegance transcending time, and a very fine profile. Oh, that's just Brutus Fields, my partner. Brutus! This is Joy Atkinson. Yep. Now, please, you said this was about your husband? The woman had no interesting features to me, but I could see through her waves of smoky brown hair that she was cute. She had her small frame hidden in large coats and was wholesome in a wholly metropolitan way. She was obviously not at her best, though. She was being held down by grief as a bad joke on her good name. In some lines of business, you meet people on the worst day of their life. Very rarely, in my previous occupations, 
I've been a bailiff of their sins come real. In, in a way, but more about my baby. We, we don't handle missing child cases. Oh no, they're not lost. I'm sorry, this is all a little strange. Strange is the level at which we operate. Kane had a tendency to be to the point, curt above courtesy. But there's not a man alive who knows quite as much about the things that lurk in the shadows of our world. Georgie, my husband, is a real stand-up guy. He's an actuary. Mm, like a, a risk assessor for Horace and Lawson Insurance. He's always planning for the future, taking care of me. I thought he would make a great dad. But ever since we had the baby, things have been weird. Weird how? Just weird. Odd. I can't really explain it. I know your baby is supposed to be the best thing in the world, but since we bought it home, it's all been falling apart. We had plans. My Georgie was going to tell him stories every night and sing him to sleep. He did, the first few nights. But now he won't even step in the room. I just don't know. I looked at Kane. A man not wanting to see their kid is tragic, but not unusual. Joy and her sob story were turning into another quiet melodrama in a city filled with quiet melodramas. Is there anything else? Yeah. For the last couple of weeks, Georgie has started talking in his sleep. What does he say? My Georgie. He's from Sweden. He came over in the boat when he was 15, and he speaks Swedish in his dreams. I don't know a lot, but what I make out he's saying, it isn't mine. The child isn't mine. But it's crazy. I I love Georgie. He's my whole world. I never want another man. And he knows that. And there have been times, let me tell you. I was getting impatient. I'm not interested with the dramas of the kitchen sink. I'm interested But if he loves her, then why would he think the child isn't his? This is all wrong. Kane must be picking up on this. Nothing here just adds... And who our gods are, and if they mean us harm. Uh, What else does he say? Well, like I say, I don't know a lot, but there's a word. Over and over he says it. I don't know what it means, though. Jotan. Kane looked at me. Whatever he was looking for, he didn't find. I looked at Fields, seeing if he had heard the clue. Jotan stuck out like a sore thumb in this narrative. An alien word in an alien dialect. Fields looked back, confused. I guess I'll take this one, then. Uh, dreams are curious phenomenon. The, uh, when we dream, we tap into the collective unconsciousness. That is to say, we all dream of the same shapes, although the details change, colour, material, and so on. Without the ephemera of the mundane to cloud our perception, we see clearly as we sleep. When we awake, the cloud of rationality and amnesia descends, and we are left in the dark once more. I I don't think I understand. If you think of our world and the shadow world like men and women, dreams are mixed dormitories. Everything gets mixed up. I don't think I understand that either. What it means is that we will take your case. We work for 80 a day plus expenses. Uh, And we would want to meet your husband and child in order to help you sleep easier. Feels? Right, so I've only half been paying attention. We've got a haunting? No, we've got a case of bad dreams. Okay, so we're casing the joint. There's no joint to case. And we're catching the ghost in the act. It's not a haunting. Oh, well, I still think you should case the joint. The joint is Mr. Actianson. Lucifer, you shouldn't say that in front of Mrs. Actianson. George is a person, not a joint. I took a moment to imagine throttling Brutus. 
I felt much better. Anyhow, Joy, so from what you've told us we're going to have to case your husband, uh, where are you staying at the moment? Well, we just moved into a bigger apartment. Um, for the baby, of course. Perfect! We'll be your neighbours. Uh, we got to chatting in the market, we realised we lived in the same building. Uh, Ken and I will arrive at your apartment for aperitif and housewarming. Uh, how does that sound? Yes. Well, if that's everything, then we bid you a good day. Joy put down her cup without having taken a sip and gathered her things. Like most of the clients that passed through here, our employment was not a comfort to her. Instead, it was a confirmation. A confirmation that the fears she had, the creeping sense of unease she felt, was justified. Uh, Mrs Actinson? Yes? Sometimes bad dreams are just that. Yes. Thank you. Do you believe that? No. Mm. Right. Geotan. Uh, Norse. Oh, beans. Yeah. Vikings. No, not Vikings, but weird Viking stuff. They're a long way from home. Well, their stop and trade is invasion. You got a bad feeling about this? No. Yes. Here's the kind of case it usually makes the rounds. We get an old biddy who's saved up all her welfare checks, she gets on the metro and she follows directions she's been given to the offices of Mr Brutus Fields and Mr Lucifer Kane. She'll knock on the door, we'll make her a coffee and she'll tell us about how her dearly departed husband or her dearly departed cat is still living in her halls. We'll listen out for anything that separates the common or garden lunacy from the lunacy that we specialise in. Then we case the place, the joint. It's what we're doing now, except the joint is a seemingly normal man in his late thirties with bad dreams. But we all have bad dreams. I know I've had a few. I remember one such dream being on a small island, uh, the sort of island that every day gets eroded a little bit more by the churning beat of the waves. The inhabitants of the island paid it no mind getting embroiled in the money, the land, the church, and all the while that sea kept churning rushing up in great battalions, a constant coastal assault. Yet still the citizens of the island would howl at each other, buttoning up their coats to warm themselves from the wind that screamed at them, warning them that one day it would reclaim the island back from its bickering natives. What I mean to say is a man can go a long time while ignoring the wolf at its door. But some men wise up. Should we have bought a gift? No. It's a housewarming. We're not guests, Brutus. Yes, we are, if we mean to keep up the pretense. Then our cover story is that we are bad guests. Oh, you've arrived. Come in. Come in. The room was white, from the couch to the cushion to the bookcase. Elegant candle holders adorned the shelves, and in the centre of the room was a circular brown carpet with golden rings. It held the room together. Interesting. This is my husband, George. Hello. Welcome in. I was struck by his serenity. He was dressed plainly in a cheap, worn-looking suit. He had thinning blonde hair and his watery blue eyes were framed by horned-rimmed glasses and a pencil moustache resting on his upper lip. Behind the furniture of his face, he had a smile so welcoming it took your coat from you as you walked through the door. Hello. Pleasure. 
Lucifer Kane and Brutus Fields, very pleased to make your acquaintance. This is very nice to meet you. The pleasure is ours, Mr. Atkinson. You have a wonderful home. Right, thank you. I'm curious that it's not yours. My wife tells me that we are neighbors. Ah, yes, though yours is certainly warm. Well, Joy is a marvel. She chose the decor, you know. White couches. I hear you shouldn't keep white furniture with dogs and children. How about a drink? Mm. That sounds lovely. Oh, Joy can twist the lemon. <laughs> now please sit. Sit. So, tell me, Mr. Fields. Please, call me Brutus. What is it you do? Well, I'm a security guard at one of the big malls in town. Oh, and you, Lucifer? Please call me Mr. Kane. My apologies. What is it you do? I'm I'm an, an academic. Oh, a professor? No, a... A lecturer. I see. And what is it you study? I've taken an interest in Jung as of late. Oh, I always enjoyed Freud myself. You would. <laughs> he has his head in books most days. You've been offered a rare treat. You two gentlemen. A security guard and uh, an academic. How did you come to share rooms? Uh, well, um, we both like Chinese food. Here you go. Uh, One for you, Brutus. Thank one you. for you, Mr. Kane. Thanks. One for you, dear. Thank you. And one for me. What are you boys talking about? Well, Mr. Atkinson was just giving us the second degree. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. You wouldn't mind if we discover some more about our hosts. Um, what's your story, George? There's not a lot to tell. I'm the son of a vicar from Sweden. I came over here to find my fortune. I got the job as an actuary. And what is it an actuary does? Oh, well, it's my job to set the prices on insurance policies. Based on how likely it is we have to pay out. Joyce says I'm a fortune teller of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> Only he uses accident reports rather than tarot cards. Well, we all have our different tools. <laughs> <laughs> and of course I met my lovely wife. She certainly is that. We were married in June and I've been so happy. <laughs> so where's the kid? I'm sorry? Your wife mentioned you have a kid. Where is he? With Kane's words, the warm glow of the room began to ebb, as if he had gotten up from his chair, moved to the curtain, and pulled it back to reveal the elephant that had been standing behind it. Got him. Georgie, I told them about our son. That's fine, my dear. It's not some, some dirty secret. We have a son. He's such a sweet boy. Hmm. If so, how have we only spoken of him now? It didn't come up. Strange, that. A newborn in the house your own flesh and blood, and he isn't the sole topic of conversation. I haven't been tripping over toys since I got here, and you have white furniture. And you two are new parents who talk constantly about their offspring, yet you haven't even shown us a picture of your own son. My... my own son. Would you like to see him? I'd love to. Come, I'll show you. Thank you. Kane left the room, leaving me alone with George. I downed my drink, gulped. He sat there, silent, as I looked out the window to see the night replace the dusk, waiting for the moon to rise. I entered the child's bedroom, and it was mercifully sparse. I would have taken paws at toys or family photos or, help me, drawings on the wall but there was the same white plaster and carpet, a dresser, a plain wooden chair, 
and the crib. Mr. Kane, I think Georgie might suspect that you're not who you say you are. Oh, really? Oh, damn. I can feel the draught flowing from under the door. Cold, churned air bit at me, and I pulled my blazer a little tighter around my chest. My eyes darted to the window. It was shut and showed the dark trees looming over the park. Even now, I still attempt to think of the reasons. Like a... It's like a coping mechanism. Maybe the radiator is broken? Or or this room has good ventilation? Maybe the water tank is beneath it, and it, it chills the room? It's always cold in this room. I've tried to get the plumber to look in, but... This is nonsense, however. I've heard Actianson. He knows. I can feel it. This isn't right for us. And now I want to leave. So, with my experience, I do the professional hard work of ignoring my own gut feeling, and I approach the crib. Please, don't wake him. I've only just gotten to sleep. It looks like joy. It also looks like a blank space. A nothing. A hole. The child is beautiful, but I don't know if I could remember it. I hold out the thumb-bone beads and the medallion. The medallion holds steady in the air, and I catch my breath. I dare to hope. Now it gets dicey. I pull out a sealed tube from the breast pocket of my shirt. What's in that? It um, contains the blood and black bile of one of my predecessors. Predecessors? Predecessors? According to his diary, he was stabbed in the stomach by a man in the mouth screaming of being born of Simon Magnus. And he used the time to collect his own ferocity in a bottle, spiced with the shards of other bones and silvers, of collections of the potent and the pertinent. In the past, I've used it as an early warning device, uh, a beacon, a finding rod, and now to, to confirm my suspicions. Well, you're not going to feed that to him, are you? Shaking the tube between my thumb and forefinger, I hold it to the medallion. It glances against the bone beads and shoots a shock down my wrists. The child's brow furrows, and the walls around me seem to frost over. The window pane shakes in its frame, and damn, it got even colder. The hairs on my forearms twitch and bristle. I still have hope, though. I still have hope. The metal spins in place and then spirals. Clockwise, I am confirmed. say you met my wife at a store. Yes, sir. In which store was it? The grocery store. Hmm. Joy told me it was Oxfam. There's one thing you should do when encountering a suspicious lover. It's to make your goddamn stories corroborate. I had taken in the house. Joy looked like the sort who would buy food. Heck, almost everyone eats... Either way, I was caught in a lie. I, I floundered, stoking the fires of George's distrust. I mean, 
she met Kane at Oxfam, and then I, I, I th- they went to the grocer together. She followed this man, your friend, like she has now, with whom she had the briefest of conversations in the grocery store, and then invited him and his friend to our home. Yes, like we are all old friends. Hmm? Perhaps. Oh God. <laughs> Perhaps you are, Mr. Atkinson. Oh, I see. I see it all now. Yes. There's something off about that one. I knew it. The he had turned in on himself, like two dogs oh, with they... one bone to share. I felt content enough to let him stew as long as the heat wasn't on me, but Mr. Atkinson was in the sort of tailspin that only happens to the sort of man with a few too many drinks in him and a few too many ideas. Joy! She has made a cockold of me! I wear his horns forever now. I should have known all along. I know what it is now. I know what's wrong with that. Child, sir, I doubt you do. Um, what I'm about to tell you is the truth, but in my business, the truth is usually less settling than the lie. If you want to keep living the fantasy that Joy has been anything other than faithful, then go right ahead, but you will be the craziest man in here. And that's saying something, because I've seen things that means I'm in the lead right now. Unless my partner comes back in the room. What? <laughs> On earth are you talking about? Well, George, you ask a good question. Uh, Kane and I, we're uh, Jungian investigators. You're private investigators. Well, George, not quite. If you'd let me finish. Give me one reason I shouldn't kick you out right now. Because you've been having bad dreams, Mr. Actianson. See, me and Kane, we're not your average dicks. We're not hired to find out who's sleeping with who. We're far more interested about the things that lurk in your mirror. Just out of sight. The ones that you aren't sure are there until you look again. Bad dreams. That's one of them. You're closer to the spooks and ghouls when you dream than any other time. And yours have been telling you things, Mr. Actinson. Joy says you talk in your sleep about the kid. About a lot of things. And me and Kane, we're going to try and stop that. You understand? We're the good guys. And looks into his eyes. Looking for something. Elation, fear, recognition, anything that meant I got through. You're a private eye. For ghosts. And ghouls. And monsters. And fae. And old gods, yes. And you were brought here by my wife. Yes. Because I'm having bad dreams. We're on the same page, Mr. Actianson. Hmm. I've just got one question. Please. Why do you shop at Oxfam? When you clearly have enough money from scamming weak-minded people into hiring your services! I slumped back in my chair. The battle was lost. some good ties there. Don't talk to me like that, you charlatan! I want you out of my house! And you can take that blasted child too! He clearly isn't mine! I couldn't put it better myself, Mr. Actians. You! Mr. Actians, look at this. Your wife and I found it in your child's hand. Please, look closely. Look closely. 
and you are gone. Please, Joy, Brutus, just be silent for a moment. This won't take long. Please, where am I? Mr. Atkinson, you can hear me. You are ascending up a steep spiral staircase. I am here waiting at the top. Please collect your thoughts as you walk up these stairs. Come to the top of the stairs. Where do these stairs go? To me, George, to me. Oh, okay. Okay. When you get to the top of the stairs, you're going to tell me about your child. I want you I to... I love him. Of course you do, George. He's your first son. No, he's not. he's not. What are you going to tell me when you reach me, George? That, that he's not, not my son. son. He is made of me. But, but he was born cold. I have seen the child's heat, but I, I'm sorry, I won't understand that. When you get to the top of the stairs, how will you phrase it? My, my only son is not, not mine. Whose is he, George? Did someone sleep with your wife? No. I... I have... I made... Please, there is no need for that. Who is the... Who is the father, then? The father, mother. The all, the all and the, the, understood. the understood. That have been that we call Jotun. Jotun. Like... Like like the Norse. My, My father, father here. Of, of his father. The other fathers. They have, and they will, and they were. Where does the staircase go? To me, George, it goes to me. Um, uh, there's, there's a window in the next landing about ten steps away. I want you to look out it. The father of your child is there. Tell me what you see. How do I see him? How can I see him? The dark window. You see him, don't you? Father told me of the birth of Emir, but said we had the location wrong. Look into the stars, cross their bifrost and evade their eyes. Live their eyes. The father is one and both, a Jotun and a birther of dreams. Forward towards our moon. Oh, perhaps the French demiologies were connected to the Crozetta. Time for Alice. Wait, wait. George, it's night. I want you to look up at the moon. I need to get up the stairs. Go back to the landing and tell me what you see on the moon. I want to go up to the next landing. My father is there, staring at the moon. George! Yes, George, the moon. Your father isn't there. Look at the moon. He's there. He's there in his eyes. In his eyes. Eyes. He wants you to go home, Mr. Kane. Stop. Ignore him. Look at the window, George. Look out of the window. By frost memories and the failings of Azeroth, the news spinning in the circles for none of what comes. By frost memories and the failings of Azeroth, the news spinning within the circles for none of what comes. 
Bifrost and Mammon in the failings of Azeroth and me spinning within the circles, born anew for what comes. Walls are falling, shaven, falling around the hill, and do you, you know that? Mr. Atkinson, you are back with us. foolish please Mr Atkinson just please sit and the remnants of this experience will disappear in a second that was no dream Cain that was the truth of it wasn't it in a manner joy Please stop sobbing. I'm sorry. I, we have nothing in the face of it. Oh, Charlie. I love you. You know that. Joy, this demon you brought with you has ruined me. But now I've been to hell and back. And I'm happy, at peace. Because you are my wife. I love you and our son is beautiful. <laughs> Georgie. My wife and I are going to console our son. Please, I, I wouldn't recommend while you leave the hypnosis stage, sit with me and I... My wife and I are going to console our son. I'd prepare, Cain. My child's father is coming. I was being reckless, and this man and his wife were paying the price for me. I'm not entirely sure yet. All I know is that I held him to a fire and was too curious to pull him out when he burned. The child's scream could be heard. It registered on frequencies I don't think feels can hear. I don't tell him everything I know. Maybe if I had, the Atkinsons would still be alive. I made a show of kicking in the door. In the center of the room, there were two frozen bodies. Joy had closed her eyes, and a diamond tear stuck to her cheek. Her head rested on George's shoulder, her dress hard and angular, cased in crystalline particles. Despite what I had heard, George's face was now forever soft, his eyes impossible to see from the frozen layer of optic fluid casing them, his hand fused eternally to the crib, 
The room had changed. The plaster walls had a thick layer of frost. It was clinging to the walls and spreading like ice over a lake in January. God! It was almost snowing. Spread like a blast radius from that damned crib. The baby was fast asleep again, blissfully ignorant. I have no idea how this could possibly happen, if I'm honest. And I'm a goddamn paranormal expert. I don't even think ice magic is even a thing, come to think of it. To the contrary here, though. Ice isn't something you can manipulate. It's an absence of temperature. It's like opening a void, making something else here. I'm... I'm sorry, I'm I'm a little... Cold? Quite the opposite, actually, emotionally speaking. I'm sorry, but I have little idea of how to proceed now. I, I, I felt that through George we could make some sort of contact to the... Before I had time to finish, the window held an answer. The park. It was now snowing over there. A strangely precise circle of snow. A beacon... For the child to see, maybe? A beacon for George, maybe? A a beacon for joy? To be taken up by us. Contact the uh, next of kin. Precisely. I was initially worried about the bitter bite of the wind would wake it up, but the... The opposite was true. The baby appeared to sleep deeper still as we took it, swaddled in its crib blanket into the park. The tree cover gave way to empty paths until we stood at the circle of snow. And it met us. Helixes of spiralling star snow down. And my fear told me that the snow was moving at such speed... And I could tell by the angle of my medallion that the curator of the snow was beckoning us closer still, terrifying me. I hitched up my coat to my mouth and trudged forwards. We should give it a name. Maybe George Jr.? You'd give him the name of his first victim? Okay, well what about Nick for St. Nicholas? further I slowly realise I've lost Brutus too. The babe of my chest falls into a heavier sleep. The deeper into the snow I trudge. And I can't help but thinking of it as a child once more. Peaceful and innocent. Even if it feels this cold as a warmer embrace than the one I can provide. Perhaps... A dark tendril reaches into my thoughts. This is their method. Perhaps they treat us as the cuckoo treats other birds. This little brood parasite is working on me. Well then, all the more reason to disappear further into the white with it. At some point, Lucifer disappears from my sight. I'm not surprised he has his excuses, and frankly, when it comes to Cain, I'd rather let him deal with the things. Let's go bump in the night. I stopped walking, 
pull the crumpled smoke from my weather-beaten coat, and wait. And then, once and as forever, I see it. I think I see the mother-father, perhaps the father, remembering the struggles of joy, the propagator. The snow whips at my face and I hate it. My eyes are closing and I hate it. I can't believe this snow is obscuring the form. My theories have always postulated that the most important thing in my life, in all our lives, this is the thing of dreams, the being of the collective conscience, the birth of telepathy and ESP, the reason why you can tell if someone is watching you. Probably not this single thing. If such a concept is true to them, that it is one of it or its ilk, I honestly don't know. I am overwhelmed at this being's form, like a mismatch of familiar parts arranged like a man, or a bear rising up at me. It is hidden by the swirling snow, it has a dark intelligence to its movement, but... I may be ascribing too much to something hidden so far and so close at the same time. I exclaim, God! Aloud, for the first time in a long time. Or that may well be it. Instinctively, I clutched the child closer to me. The being's dread hand extended, its paw penetrating the snowy clouds whirling flakes, splitting freezing fog like a curtain. My eyes hurt so hard from the wind, my skin scarred and cracked, that I squinted through involuntary tears. The shadowy shape is a light and pale blue. Form this monstrous bearing only the colour of the sky. Its skin mottled and frayed, skinned onto bone and built as muscle and sinew. I look up. But only this hand, this beckoning hand, is still visible to me. The blizzard is terrified as it obscures the large beast attached, taller than the treetops. I place the baby Atkinson in the hand of its father. Turn, child. I wait for Cain, and the snow and the wind starts to clear. I see a figure trudge out of the blinding white and see that it's Cain, slumped, hands in pockets, cigarette dangling idly from his mouth. The kid is gone. Was Nick? Next of kin. I'm sure we'll see him again. I hope not. <sighs> well, I gotta say, it's the worst housewarming I've ever attended. Real, real frosty reception. You know, difficulty to break the ice. 
You know this was all terrible tonight. I'm, I'm sorry. I've been saving those all up since we left the Akathenes. Come on. Let's go grab some grub from General Wu. You've been listening to Canaan Fields, Paranormal Investigators. The Frozen Child was written by Jack Fitzpatrick and Oliver Morris, starring Gregory Lass as George Actianson and Hannah West as Joy Actianson. Jack Fitzpatrick was Lucifer Kane and Oliver Morris as Brutus Fields. The program was directed by Jude Hodgson Han and produced by Jude Hodgson Han and Oliver Morris for Scardy's Symphony. Join Canaan Fields on their next case in a tale of shock, sorrow, and bits of string in Sheepshank, Sailor, and Noose. That was The Frozen Child, Episode 1 of Kane and Fields, Paranormal Investigators, a production of Scotty's Symphony. If you want to learn more about this production company, look for at Kane and Fields on Twitter. They're a London-based production team, and they're hard at work on the next episode of Kane and Fields. What are your favorite noir adventures? What do you think makes something a noir detective mystery? What are the stylistic tropes that typify this otherwise very visual genre? Is it the music? Is it the outside-of-time narration? Is it simply a feeling or an aesthetic? Is it the subject matter? Do you think it's merely a filmic style and therefore cannot be emulated sonically? If you have thoughts about this, and I know you do, at us on Twitter for a conversation. We're at Radiodrama. Check out our website, which is undergoing some glorious renewal courtesy of show producer Eli. While you're there, maybe drop a dollar in the till by going to radiodramarevival.com and clicking on the donate link along the right-hand side of the page. Set up a monthly donation if you like. That'd be nice. And if you're feeling chatty, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. It's the best way we know of spreading the show, short of me dressing up in a sandwich board and standing along the highway waving my arms. Well, that or merch. How do you all feel about merch? Again, let us know. And now, it's time for some credit. The music you heard in that goofy intro was If I Can't Dance, It's Not My Revolution, from Quantum Jazz's record End of Line. But the music you're hearing now is our theme, Danger Digidoo by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Our line producer is Matthew Boudreau, who's a grizzled beat cop with a 10-pound left hook and a heart of gold. Our interview's producer is Eli McElveen. Eli knows all the comings and goings in this dirty old town. You want the news? Come to Eli. He's like a spider. A spider with a heart of gold. Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreau are our researchers. Monique's a runner for a criminal syndicate whose name she won't reveal, but if I want to know something, I ask Monique. And she's so fast that if I ask her today, I find out yesterday. She's an information superhighway roadrunner with a heart of gold. Heather is a fixer, what she fix everything and everyone. Heather likes to say that when all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like it can be fixed by hitting it very hard with a hammer. She's a hard-boiled, hard-drinking, hard-bitten Los Angelina with a heart of gold. 
Our executive producer is Fred Greenhow, who I once heard about from a grifter in Kansas City named Pound Cake Murphy. It seems old Pound Cake once crossed Fred in St. Lou, and Fred sent him a 38 caliber telegram stitched into his belly like dragees on a fancy, deadly cake. Fred's a mean, calculating son of a bitch with a heart. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome. Well, I'm pulling into town on the interstate. I got a steel train in the rain. And the wind bites my cheek through the wing. And it's these late nights and this freeway flying. It always makes me sing. There's a duster trying to change my tune. He's pulling up fast on the right. Rolling restlessly by a 24-hour moon. And a Wisconsin hiker with a cue ball head was wishing he was home in his Wisconsin bed. But there's 15 feet of snow in the east. Colder than a well digger's ass. Yeah, it's colder than a well digger's ass. 